The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So last weekend was our block party, and hopefully you were able to be with us and to be a part of that great time that we had together as a church on Sunday afternoon. I got the opportunity to talk to, to so many of you, and I got to hear so many stories from a bunch of you telling me how thankful you are that God has given you this place, how God has given you a place to, to feel like you belong. And for many of you, uh, I heard that you know that's something that God's given to you. You've had that for a very, very long time in your life and in your family's life, and how wonderful that is. And for others of you, that's a much more recent thing. In fact, I, I talked to one dad uh, after the service out on the fields, and he was telling me uh, about how much this place means to him and to his family. They just started coming uh, to worship here uh, in, in the spring, actually Easter was the first time they worshiped with us, and they've been worshiping with us ever since. And he was telling me that one of the things that he and his wife really appreciate about faith, one of the things that means the most to them is that every time when his kids come home, they always come home with something that they can talk about together as a family and how significant that is for them to have these spiritual conversations in their home. And we are working very hard. We are working very, very hard to make those opportunities even better. We've done, uh, we've done something. We've formed what we're calling our next-gen team. We've taken all the staff from our children's ministry, all the staff from our student ministry. We've combined them together into one team so that we can really do the best possible to to give every kid an opportunity to feel like this is a place for them to belong as well. That is so important for us. And so as we begin this new season of ministry, I just want to take a moment and kind of talk to those of you who are parents, and I just want to give you a couple of tips about how it is that, that you can actually help your kids to feel like this is a place for them to belong, and also how it is that you can have as a parent, how you can have spiritual conversations with your own kids. Now, one of the things that you can do, in fact, one of the most critical things that you can do is actually be here consistently. Now, I know that, that you know, life and the universe has this interesting way of kind of conspiring against that, you know, to prevent that from happening for you. But not only is that important for you personally, it is so incredibly important for your kids. Because see, what you may not know is this. Every single Sunday, every single Sunday, every kid in this place from pre-K all the way up into college and high school, all of them are meeting in small groups. They're all meeting together in small groups every single week. And so the more often your kids can actually be here and and be with the same group of kids and meet the same leaders, that's really going to help them to feel like this is a place for them to belong. And then secondly, if you've got a teenager, okay, you've got a college student in your ministry or in your, in your home and you want them to feel like they're a part of this ministry, if you can get them on a trip with our student ministries, going on a trip with student ministry, that is, that is a game changer when it comes to, this air, to the feeling of belonging. That is so critically important for students and teenagers to, to feel like they belong. And to help you as parents to have spiritual conversations with your kids, because again, we know that's a big part of what we want to be able to help you to do. And so uh, I want to help you do that. And one of the ways I want to help you to do that is actually by telling you right now, take out your phone, okay, take out, like, take out your phone and go to your app store, take out your phone, go to your app store and actually search for the app called ParentQ, Search for the app called ParentQ because every single week starting October 1st, we're going to give you as a parent a cue that you can use to actually start and have a spiritual conversation with your kids at home. Okay? So you can get this cue a bunch of different ways. You can get it as a text message. You can get it as an email. 
But probably the best way to get that cue is actually just by downloading this app and getting it through the app. And instead of me telling you more about the app and how great it is, I just want you to watch this short video. And you can download the video or download the app while you're watching the video right now. From the day your child is born to the day they graduate, you have 936 weeks. 936 weeks of soccer practice and homework and teaching them to use deodorant. 936 weeks to instill values, to build character, and to prepare them to face the world. You want to be a great parent, and we're here to help with each moment of parenting gold. Driving your fourth grader to practice. Saying goodbye to your 10th grader as he's walking out the door. Eating tacos in the kitchen with your 7th grader. Tucking your toddler in at night. These moments happen every week, and we want you to be aware of the time you have left. Because when you are, you do more with the time you have now. We cue you with easy, just-in-time ideas of things to say, things to do, and things to think about to connect with the heart of your child. Our cues are grounded in God's big story, so your child can discover the power of faith in those everyday moments of life. Every cue fits the context of your child's developmental phase. We cue you when your high schooler won't leave their room, your middle schooler won't pick up their clothes, your two-year-old won't stop talking. We help you understand these moments, and we help you connect. You only have 936 weeks. You can't afford to waste them. Parent Q, it's what we do. Download it for free today. Now, I know it sounds cliche, but as a parent who just had, for one of my, my oldest son, those 936 weeks are now gone. Okay, for my oldest son, it goes so incredibly fast. And so we do. We very much, we want to help you as parents have spiritual conversations with your kids. And a little tip, if you are in that situation like me, I did it anyway, downloaded it, and I just lied. And I said he was still in high school. So I'm still getting the cues for him, okay? So you can do the same thing. But the point is, the point is, if you've got a kid in elementary school, middle school, or high school, we so much want to partner with you, and, and we want to help you have those spiritual conversations with your kids at home. And every single week... Every single week, we have got dozens and dozens and dozens of incredible volunteers, and they are here, and they are ready, and they are excited to meet your kids and to help you as parents, to actually help you as parents teach your kids and reinforce in your kids those values, many of the same values that you're teaching your kids at home. And listen, they want to do all this for free, okay? Think about that. They want to help you reinforce the values you're teaching at home for free, okay? And the truth is, for some of you, for some of you, you don't know how to do this yet because you're new to this. This is new to you, and that's great. We want to help you with that. We want to, we want to partner with you in any way that we can. And so hopefully this is a way that we can actually help you to have those spiritual conversations at home. Now listen, if you haven't met Pastor RJ yet, he's the one who leads our next-gen team. And almost every single week you can find him out in the lobby. Uh, you can find him in the kids' classrooms. You can find him out there. You've got to meet him, talk to him, uh, introduce your kids to him. He really wants to help you as a family connect and be involved in, in one of those ministries. Children's, middle school, high school, uh, student ministries, somewhere. So he wants to help you get connected and plugged into one of those places. Now, last week, we began this series called A Place to Belong, and we began by talking about the fact that all of us, we've all got this desire and this need to be known. And we said that one of the most natural things that happens is we actually try to be known for a thing. We try to be known for this thing. And, th and we said, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's good, in fact, to want to be known as a, a good parent, a good, a, a good husband, a good father, right, a successful businessman, 
a leader, a successful businesswoman, right, being a disciplined person. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be known for any of those things. The problem, however, comes when there's a gap. When there's a gap between, you know, who, who it is I want to be known for and who it is that I really am. Because it's in that gap that every single one of us, we're all tempted to, to do what? To crop, to filter, and to delete, right? To put out this image out there that isn't really who, who I really am. And yet it's an image for everyone to be impressed with and to see and to think about. And we said the problem with that comes is that when we do that, all that's doing really is just perpetuating this feeling that we have of not really being known. A feeling that that is the complete antithesis to everything that we were ever created to do or to, to be or to experience in this life. And we said, you know what, all of us, what we really need is a place to belong. A place where not only we're known, but a place where we're accepted. A place where we can be actually known and accepted for who it is that we really are. And like we said last week, even more important than that, a place where we're also loved so much that people aren't going to just leave us the way that we were. They're not just going to leave us the way that we are. That we're actually loved so much, they're not going to leave us the way that they found us. That's what we really need, we said. And we also made a little bit of a discovery which might be new for you. And we found out that that is exactly what the church, that's exactly what the church is supposed to do. It's what the church is supposed to be. A community of people who are following Jesus, who are in community with each other and creating community. Communities of men and women and students and teenagers who are all kind of moving together and kind of answering this one really big question all at the same time in a bunch of different, different contexts. But the question of what does it mean? I mean, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus in this world? That's the common thread that we hear in so many of the stories that you share with us. That's the common thread that we hear in so many of the stories about what it is that you all experience. And that's what we want God to continue to do and to be. That's what he want, we want God to continue to do in this place and continue to do through each one of us, to actually reach other people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. And so today, as we continue in this series, we're going to talk about this some more. And the reason we're talking about this, the reason we're spending time in this series, is because there are so many things, so many things that are so important to talk about in a series like this. Things that you can't really talk about shoulder to shoulder. There's things that you can only ever talk about face to face. And one of those things is what we're going to talk about together today. And and this is a group thing. This is a we thing. And so understand, when I say we in this. I'm a part of we. I'm a part of this, just like you are. But all of us, we all drift, don't we? I mean, every single one of us, we we naturally drift away from everything that is holy and wholesome in our lives. You you rarely ever drift in a good direction in terms of your health, right? You, You rarely ever drift in a good direction in terms of your finances. You rarely ever drift in a good direction in terms of your marriage, in terms of your relationship with your kids, Right? If it's good for us, we actually drift away from it. Okay, so just a little cue. If we were a church in the south at that point, you would all said amen. Right? Amen, right? Because that is an amen statement right there. If it's good for us, we drift from it. Amen, right? And that's true. That's true. If it's good for us, we drift away from it. That's just that's human nature. That's something that we all experience. All of us have a tendency to drift. And we all drift away from anything that is good for us. And see, that truth, that truth, it also applies to our relationship with God as well, doesn't it? 
Because see, even though God is the one who has begun a relationship with each of us through the death and the resurrection of his son Jesus, the truth is that our relationship with God, just like any other relationship that we have, it takes some time. It takes some discipline, doesn't it? And consequently, if we're not intentional about our relationship with God, we actually begin to drift away from it. And so think about this. I mean, in every area of life that's significant, every area of life that matters, in every area of life that is meaningful to you, whether it's your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your finances, your personal health, or having a relationship with God in a culture that does not facilitate a relationship with God, in every area of life that is important to you, it is always upstream, isn't it? It's always upstream. But see, here's what you also know. It's also always worth it, right? It's always worth it. Because anytime you have worked as an individual, anytime you have worked as a person to better yourself, to get over a rough spot in your marriage, to get over a rough spot with your kids, to get over a rough spot with somebody that you work with, anytime you have worked at that, to get over that, it is always worth it. It's always worth it. It takes a lot of effort because it's always upstream, but it is always worth it. Now, here's where we come to one of the core tenets of Christianity. See, as followers of Jesus, none of us has been called to swim alone. Instead, every single one of us, we've been called to actually swim together. And this isn't some kind of a 21st century thing. This is in no way new. In fact, In Scripture, in the the document that we know of as the book of Hebrews, the author of this book, in the very first century, in the very beginning of the church, he talks about and he identifies this very same tendency in all of us. The, The fact that all of us, it's always upstream. It's always upstream. And there's this pressure to try to go upstream alone. And he talks specifically about this. I want you to take out your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, You can find this on page 1,865. It's in this section of Hebrews, it's in verse 12, that the author of Hebrews says something to us that's very, very interesting and very specifically applies to this dynamic that we all face of trying to swim upstream alone. And it's in verse 12 that we read this. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, what I want us to do today is kind of look at this verse, and we're going to kind of pick this apart a little bit. And what I want you to do is either, so either in the Bible that you've got in your lap or up on the screen, whichever one, I want you to kind of look at this verse, and I want you to notice a couple of things. And the first thing I want you to notice is who's this verse addressed to, right? I mean, it's addressed to, to brothers and sisters, and so right away, that actually is telling us something. It's telling us that this is addressed to those of us who are already Christians, those of us who are already followers of Jesus, right? And that is a very significant point. That's a very significant point. And then a little bit later on, we, we read this phrase that, you know, none of you turns away from the living God. So let me ask you, I mean, who, who in their right mind? I mean, who in their right mind is a follower of Jesus? Who in their right mind is a follower of God? Someone who knows they have a heavenly Father who loves them. Someone who knows that Jesus has died for them. Who in their right mind would actually turn away from the living God and do something that's wrong? I mean, who would do that? All of us, maybe, right? Maybe, maybe all of us. 
Right? Would that be all of us? Yeah. Absolutely. Every single one of us. And see, here's his point. This is what is so amazing about this. He says, see to it that none of you who are followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you would say, okay, I don't know that that's me, that, that's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here with us. I'm glad you're here with us today. But in fact, here's the thing you need to know. Today, you're off the hook, okay, because this doesn't apply to you. This only applies to those of us who would say that we are followers of Jesus. So for you, today is really easy. You just get to listen and you get to kind of point your finger at us because this is only talking to us today who are followers of Jesus. He says this, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, what he's saying is this, listen, you and I, Both of us, all of us, we all have the capacity, regardless of how long you've believed, regardless of what you believe. He's saying, listen, understand this. You have within you the capacity as a follower of Jesus to turn away from the living God. Now listen, for some of you here today, this is your story, isn't it? I mean, in fact, this is why today is the first time you're back in church in a long time. Now, you probably wouldn't use those words. Maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't say it that way. But when you stop and you think about it, you would say, yeah, that's what happened. I, I turned away. I turned my back on God. Why do we do that? Why do we turn our back on God? Why do we do that when we're in college? Why do we do that when we're on a business trip? Why do we do that in life after a series of disappointments? Why do, why do we do that in life after a series of celebrations? Why is it that we turn our back on God? Now, the interesting thing about this particular verse is that in this verse, we actually find the solution to the problem of drifting. We actually find the solution to the problem of being tempted to turn our back on God. And see, the reason why the solution is actually in the verse is because, again, notice that the verse, this is not an individual imperative, is it? Right? This is a, a, a group thing. This is, this is a group command. This is not an individual command. This is a group command. This is for everybody. See to it, brothers and sisters, right? Notice the plurals. That none of you, so this is not a, this is not a singular you. This is a everybody you. This is an all you, y'all kind of a you, right? All y'all kind of a you. That's what we're talking about. See to it that none of you, brothers and sisters, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And here's the point. He's saying this, listen, you need to be checking in with each other. You need to be seeing how it is that everybody is doing. Now, Autumn's grandparents, they actually live in Kentucky and Tennessee. So although I do not have any southern history in my family, Autumn has her family from the south. And every year when we go down to see her grandparents, uh, in, in, down south, we'd go, see, go to her grandparents' house, and, and, and they lived at the end of this kind of quintessential country road, and, and the name of the road is called Hoopy Hill. <laughs> and at the end of Hoopy Hill was their house, and whenever we'd pull into their driveway, it was always the same thing. Her grandmother, Nanny, would be waiting out on the front porch, and as soon as she would see us coming out of the car, 
she always would say the same thing. She, she'd look at us and she'd say, how you all doing? How you all, how you all doing? And see, that wasn't just Nanny's way of saying hi. I mean, she, she really wanted to know. She, she wanted to know what was actually going on with us because she cared about us. And so she wanted to know. She wanted all the details. How you all doing? That's what the author of Hebrews is saying to us in this section of Scripture. He's saying to us, he's saying, see, this is about all you all checking in with each other. That's what he's saying here. That's how Nanny would say it. About all y'all checking in with each other to make sure that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is so important, isn't it? Because when somebody turns away, where does that turn begin? When somebody turns away from God, where does that turn begin? It always begins in the heart, doesn't it? That, that turn away, I mean, it always begins within the drift. That, that always begins with the heart, right? Just a little drift. That drift, it always begins within. When we begin to lose interest, we have doubt. There's a temptation. There's an unanswered question of some sort. That, that little drift, it always begins within, and nobody knows unless all y'all is seeing about each other, right? Nobody knows unless somebody actually has access to you. And see, this is the hard part. That access to you That's probably not going to happen in this room, is it? Because like we talked about last week, how easy it is to come into this place week after week after week and just kind of put on your happy church face, right? How easy that is for all of us to do. In fact, I would even argue this this isn't even the best place for that to happen because nobody wants to come in here and feel like everybody knows what's going on in their life, right? I mean, nobody wants to feel that way. But see, somebody needs to know. And the only way that somebody is going to know is if somebody has access to you. And the only way someone's going to have access to you is if you have a place to belong. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, but encourage one another. And again, notice the imperatives, right? This is a group command. This isn't a plural thing. Still a group statement. But encourage one another. And the word that we translate here as encourage, right? This isn't, you know, this isn't like, hey, way to go. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying high five, right? Not, not looking good, hey, looking good. That's not what's going on. That's not what he's saying. Better way to translate this would actually be to, to strongly urge, to appeal, to exhort. To, to, to beg, maybe. In fact, this word is translated all of those ways all throughout the New Testament. 
He's saying, listen, I want you to be in each other's lives, and I want you to notice when someone begins to drift, and I want them to notice when your attitude begins to go south so that a wife never has to struggle alone, so that a husband never has to struggle alone, so that a student, so that a teenager never has to struggle alone. When somebody begins to drift, when that drift that begins from within, that someone's actually there to notice and to see that, and they have permission, and they have access to say something. And then look what he says next, verse 13 again. But encourage one another. How often? How about daily, he says. Really? Yeah, how about daily? And again, the context here is not once every 24 hours. That's not what he's saying. He's saying day after day after day, as long as it is called today. In other words, as long as you are alive. As long as you are part of a sinful world, as long as you are part of a world that struggles with the temptations and the consequences of sin, as long as it is called today, you need to be in each other's lives, he is saying. And then he wraps up this verse with a very significant statement. Now, in the Greek, there's a a word here that gives us a big clue and it's called a, a purpose clause in the Greek. And it's a very specific word. It's the word hina. And every time hina shows up in the Greek, this is kind of like a flashing light in your face because you know that what the author is about to tell you is actually the answer and the result. It's the purpose for why he said everything leading up to this point. And so we get that. We have a hina clause so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, sin's deceitfulness, this is, this is interesting, and, and I think this actually may be helpful for you because it, it might help to explain something. Whenever you read about sin's deceitfulness in, in the New Testament, all the New Testament authors, especially the Apostle Paul, all of them, they personify sin, okay? meaning that they actually talk about sin as if it were alive. They, they talk about sin as, as if it were a creature. They, they talk about sin as if it's this living entity that is inside of you. And again, when we hear that, I think we say amen, right? Because isn't that what it is that we've experienced? That sin is kind of this thing that lives inside of us? I mean, this is what Martin Luther famously referred to as the saint-sinner relationship in all of us. That that sin is actually alive inside of us. See, if we only think about sin as something that we do, then all the New Testament authors, and especially Paul, would say no. No, that's not quite right. It's deeper than that because this sin, it is residing in you. And because it's residing in you, it is actively deceiving you. And see, the way that sin deceives us, it kind of looks like this. We start talking, we we start having this this really, really bad negative self-talk. And we start saying really stupid things to ourselves, don't we? And I don't know about you, but for me, this always happens in the car, right? It always happens when I'm driving in the car, which is why I keep WWJ on all the time. But it happens when I'm in the car, when I'm by myself, and I always start saying stuff to myself like, you know, well, my parents would never. Well, I think I'd be happier if. I think I'd be more fulfilled if. I think I'd be more satisfied if. I don't even know if I want to be married anymore. I mean, she practically forced me into this. (laughs) 
I mean, if everybody at work knew what was going on, no one would blame me. I mean, it's, no, one would, no one would fault me, right? They forced me to do this. She forced me to do this. They forced me to do this, right? That's, that's what we start saying to ourselves. And pretty soon, what happens? We actually start believing. We actually start believing those, those lies, don't we? So let's put this all together. What's it saying? What's it telling us? That the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin that is in me actually isn't me. It's we. That the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin that is in me is not me. It is a we. Meaning it is a group of people who really know me, who, who really accept me exactly the way that I am, and just like we said last week, who love me far too much to just leave me that way. That kind of a we is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin that is in me. And so let me ask you this. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. So what is it you've been telling yourself lately? I mean, honestly, what is it that you've been telling yourself lately that if you were to actually say to somebody else, they would look at you and say, you're crazy. I mean, what is it you've been telling yourself lately? That if you were to actually say out loud to another person, they would tell you you're crazy. Now listen, the reason why that is such an important question is because most of us, we never ever actually tell anyone else what it is that we're telling ourselves. Do we? And some of you, some of you, you, you actually know the power of this. Because listen, when we actually take those negative, self-destructive lies that we so often tell ourselves, and we actually get those things out in front of somebody or a group of somebodies who, again, know us, who accept us, and who, who love us too much to just leave us the way that we are, I mean, yeah, they may think that we're crazy, but they may also keep us from crazy. Right? And we, I think most of us, we know, most of us have been around long enough to know that that kind of we, the power that comes from being in that kind of a community, is exactly what every single one of us needs. And guys, men, this is particularly challenging for us, isn't it? Because every single one of us, we want, what do we want in life? We want autonomy. We want independence. Many times we even want isolation. Just leave me alone, right? That's what we want. In fact, the, the hard part is, is that Americans, we're all kind of told that that's what success looks like, is those things. But the truth is, as men, the older we get, we actually crave those things, don't we? This is what we're going to be talking about together next weekend. And a little bit of a, a shameless plug here, guys. This is why next Sunday after church, this event is happening, okay, for you. Men, this is happening next Sunday after church, after the 11 o'clock service for you. It's in the bulletin, little tiny print, center section under men. This is why this is happening. This is also why I want every single one of you downloading our app, our Faith Troy app, going to our website filling out the small group connection form, right? This is why we're doing all the small group connection events coming up in the end of October. 
Because when the drift that, that begins right here, when that drift begins to make its way out of our hearts, that impacts our life, doesn't it? Now, the author of Hebrews ends up with a couple of verses that feel like he changes the subject on us, but he's not. And so I want to read this, and then we'll talk about how it applies to what we just read, and then we'll wrap up. He says this in verse 14, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, this is what this is saying to us. When this drift that begins within, when, when this little drift, when it begins to make its way out, it just comes out as this little thing, right? It just becomes th- this little thing out there. But if this little thing goes unchecked, it has the potential to lead to unbelief. Th- this is so incredibly important that you understand. This little drift that begins within, this little thing, eventually it comes out. And when it comes out, it impacts your life. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your relationship with your kids. It impacts your family. It even impacts your relationship with God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, do not be naive. Because that little thing, if left unchecked, it has the potential to lead to unbelief. In fact, for some of you, that's a story. Your story, isn't it? I mean, you didn't just wake up one day and say, okay, I don't believe in God anymore, so I think I'm going to be an atheist and just do whatever I want, right? That's not how it happened for you. It didn't become a theological thing. It was just, no, I met a girl. And it wasn't like I met a girl, so now I don't believe in God. It was like, no, I just met a girl, but see now. Now I I don't believe in God. Or you met a guy. Or you took a trip. Or you took a job. Or you went wherever, or you did wherever. See, it always starts as just the littlest thing, doesn't it? But then the next thing you know, it has impacted your whole faith. And see, his point, his point is this. You hang on to what it is that your Heavenly Father has given to you as your share, your part in Christ. And the way you hang on to that is by not allowing the deceitfulness of sin that resides in you to deceive you. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're beginning to drift, right, you're not thinking about abandoning God, are you? No, of course not. It's the furthest thing from your mind because, after all, it's just a little drift. It's just a little drift. And he says, but understand, if you do not pay attention to those little things, it could end up costing you everything. And again, you know this. You know this if you've ever watched a friend make an incredibly stupid decision that was so obvious to you. Do do you know when it comes to you? When it comes to you, someone actually has the potential to see what you can't see. And they either will or will not have access to you. Do you know who determines who it is that's going to have access to you? Only you. Only you determines who is going to have access to you. And so to avoid the drift, someone has to have access. And someone has to have permission to exhort, to strongly urge, to implore, 
and need be, if need be, to beg. Whenever it would come time for us to finally go home from our visit with Autumn's grandparents, it was always kind of the same little ritual that happened. Lots of hugs, and they'd walk us out to the door, and, and, and Nanny and Granddaddy both, they'd always say the very same thing. They'd always look at us more than once and say over and over again, y'all come back now. You hear? See, this is what we heard at the end of Hebrews last week. This is why the author of Hebrews ends with what we saw last week together with this verse. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, encourage one another. Because again, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what we all know, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of what you would say you believe, what what we all know is that we all need a place to belong, right? We all need a place where people will tell us not only what it is that we want to hear, but what it is that we need to hear. Where where people are not not only going to notice our pain, but they're going to actually point us to the healer, right? Where where people are are not only going to notice our guilt and our shame, but they're going to actually point us to the grace of Jesus. Where, where people are not only going to accept us in spite of our sin and our brokenness, but they're going to actually point us to where we can find our identity in Christ. Where people are going to see that maybe we're afraid. And they're going to actually share with us the presence of Jesus. But see, you're not going to get any of that if nobody knows. That's why we all need a place to belong. And we all need all y'all seeing about each other. And all y'all coming back now. You hear? Because the best defense, the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin that is in me And in you, it isn't me, it's we. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you that you do know. You do know exactly what it is that we need, that we need healing, that we need grace, that that we need an identity that goes far beyond our own personal experiences and achievements in, in this life and in this world. And Father, we, we do thank you for giving us all of that through your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you especially for this moment where we get to experience that together as a community of, of believers in the bread and in the wine and in the body and in the blood of your son who is our Savior. And Father, we also ask that in these next few moments that you would hear us as we personally and silently, as we bring to you our hurts, our regrets, as we bring to you our pain and our fear, and most of all, our sin. Father, hear us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has forgiven you, that he has forgiven your sin, and so you are forgiven, and Jesus continues to work in you and through you to bring his grace into our world, and into the lives of the people that you meet each day. Amen.